Welcome to Connection to the Cosmos with your host, me, Dr. Lisa Thompson, where I have out-of-this-world conversations with extraordinary people. And today I am so excited to have Miss Beck Nelson on, best-selling author of the book, Cut the Shit. So we're going to be talking about that and so much more. Um, but just a couple of quick announcements before I bring her on. So if you are watching this on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe to the channel so you can get all the new videos um, each week. And we would love your comments. If you're watching here on Facebook, again, love your comments. And if you're listening on a podcast, thank you so much and continue listening to all of my fabulous guests each week. Um, just another announcement, which is that I am still offering the 2023 Cosmic Message and Theme of the Year. So this is where I channel Arcturian Uluru and give you your message and your overall theme for the energy to work with for 2023. And you also get a galactic group for support that you can call in. And there is an added crystal alien skull that you can add onto that package as well. So readings will be delivered to your inbox by December 31st of 2022. So be sure to sign up for that. I will post the link in the notes here, but it's on my website, mysticmanta.com or drlisajthompson.com. And if you're visiting Hawaii, come on one of my Big Island UFO tours or come to one of my retreats. For women, I have my Sacred Soul Kona retreat in April and I only have four spots left for that. And early bird pricing ends December 10th of this year. And next year, um, I'm going to be doing a galactic retreat, which is co-ed. I don't have the date set yet for that, but stay tuned. And if you're interested, please reach out. Okay, without further ado, I'm going to bring on Beck Nelson. Hello, Beck. <laughs> okay, and let me just share about you and you can sit and bask in all the gloriousness of that which you are. <laughs> so, Rebecca a.k.a. Beck Nelson, has been in the business of assisting people in their pursuit of transformation since 1992. Beck's work focuses on those who are inspired to move to the next level of their lives, but find themselves repeating patterns of behavior that no longer serve them, keeping them stuck and feeling frustrated. Beck has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and is a licensed chemical dependency professional and marriage and family therapist. She's also an ordained minister. She has worked in a variety of levels of treatment in the mental health and substance abuse fields, as well as spiritual coaching. Though her clients range from children to older adults, her special passion lies in helping individuals and couples function at their highest level in their relationship and as co-parents. In 2010, Beck and her husband, Ed, opened their own healing and transformational business. Hope Counseling and Meditation Center, Inc., where they offer individual and couples therapy, divorce mediation, and spiritual coaching. Beck uses an approach to therapy and transformation she calls the loving authority, combining systemic approaches to identifying and solving dysfunctional patterns. This approach allows Beck to assertively approach transformation with the direct energy needed to inspire both motivation and changes in attitudes and behavior her clients want and need but have become too overwhelmed and exhausted to manage alone. Beck is available for spiritual coaching for individuals and couples. 
psychic and mediumistic readings. We're going to get into that for sure. Various metaphysical and spiritual classes and angel readings. She's also available for speaking engagements and performing weddings and celebrations of life. And you're based in Rhode Island, correct? Okay, for those who want that ceremony kind of aspect or want to come see you in person. So welcome back. Thank you so much for being here with me. Whew. Thanks for having me. I was like, wow, I gave her the long version. That just whew, was a mouthful. You did. There's a lot there, but I've, I think it really gives a beautiful representation of how you can help people. And what's super interesting is most people don't think of therapists as being like, oh, psychic or a medium or a spiritual counselor in a way. And so we're going to talk about that in a moment. But the first question I do want to ask you, because I, I'm super curious and I'm sure my audience is, like, how did you grow up? What kind of household, spiritual, religious, something else to get you into this work that you're doing? I think the way that I grew up did have a lot to do with the work that I do now, but not in a, a way that people would think, right? Okay. I think a lot of us tend to have a traumatic past, mm. but... Um, and, and so I definitely did. I, I grew up with an, al an alcoholic, abusive father. And so people, a lot of people don't know this, but there's actually usually two different types of alcoholic homes. You either have an alcoholic home where everybody kind of ignores the alcoholic and then, you know, just like, oh, there he goes again. And he's kind of the outcast or she's kind of the outcast of the group or the where the alcoholic sort of um, really dictates the energy of the home and everybody's really afraid of them and, you know, kowtows around them and all that kind of stuff. And we had the latter. Um, so my father really ruled the house and his anger and stuff uh, really ruled the house. Everybody was afraid of him. Um, he passed away last year. Um, so there was, there's definitely been a lot of learnings around that. And you learn when you come into this type of work that it's almost, you have to go through some of those types of um, processes that you, I shouldn't say you have to, but it's, it's helpful to go through those kinds of processes and learn what did I, how do I do that? And how do I teach other people to do that? So you can empower other people instead of having them be seen as a victim. And obviously there was a lot of my life where I felt like I was a victim. We were not particularly religious, although there were pockets of time I, um, that we tried various religions, but nothing really intense. My parents grew up devoutly Catholic, went to Catholic school their whole lives. And so we were calling that uh, recovering Catholics. Um, yeah. they, so they did not continue the religion with us. They didn't have us go through the whole thing, although we were baptized. And then my grandmother was very into Baptist church. So we did that for a little po like pockets of time, but nothing really stuck. And certainly we never talked about ghosts. So there was no discussions around anything like that. Okay, so then um, being a psychic medium, where, did you have that as a child or did that develop as an adult? I think I always, there's so many things that you look back on, you know, when we learn these things and go, okay, that makes sense. But at the time, I just looked at other people who did that and I was like, God, I really want to be able to do that because I could see how it touched people when you gave them messages from their loved ones that they really wanted to hear from and give them healing and that sort of thing, like things that they couldn't, these people couldn't say when they were here on this planet and in these bodies. And I was like, I really want to be able to do that. That's amazing. I would love to think that I could do that. But 
And looking back, I probably could, right? But I just, or we all could, but I just didn't have the, the right mentors or I was certainly not guided to do that at that point. Um, but there's a story that I tell in my book, which I can certainly share. So I can kind of, my spiritual coming out, right? I have some friends that um, are mediums and I would always, you know, kind of go to classes with them and watch what they were doing. And I was like, oh God, I wish I could do that, right? Um, and one of my friends, Debbie, who's local, who I do talk about in my book, um, she was very instrumental in helping me to, to be where I am right now. We're still very good friends. So I have my father's next youngest brother, because my dad was not affectionate or really emotionally available in any way. He's the oldest of six. The next youngest brother was his brother, Danny. And Danny was in Vietnam. And by the time you know we came onto the scene, he was kind of discharged from Vietnam. He was a Marine um, and he had gotten three Purple Hearts. So he really had a lot. And now you look back and know that he had PTSD. Um, and we, he just was very affectionate and he didn't have, at that time, he didn't have any of his own kids. So my brother and I were really like his own kids. And he was sort of that emotional, affectionate one that we, that my dad just wasn't. Um, and so whenever he would be around and my dad didn't really want him around because he was very erratic um, and you never know, like he could just show up, pull up in our driveway and he'd have a hooker in the seat. Like it was just, a, it was just very chaotic, you okay. know? Also, when he showed up, my dad was be, would be like, you know, don't let him in. And, you know, you don't know who he's with or what he's going to do. And he was in and out of the VA a lot. But um, we were very close. And I have pictures of us, you know, hugging because we would, you know, walk across the street. And he would, no matter how old I got, he would um, insist that I held his hand and that kind of thing. And he'd be like, you always got to hold Uncle Dan's hand, no matter how old I got. So it was kind of like that, that emotional bond that I didn't have. Um, from with my dad. He died when I was 17 um, because he was exposed to Agent Orange. He actually died in the VA. Wow. Didn't get to know him as an adult. And it's hard, it's awful because he was very humorous and whatever. God knows what would have happened to him if he had he was only 37 when he died. So he had, you know, he has beautiful stories and things that he really wouldn't tell, but um I, I just felt like sometimes he could say things to me that he didn't say to anybody else. So I really treasure that relationship for a number of reasons. So after he died, um, we didn't really, you know, like my dad was very much like I lost my brother, that kind of thing. But I didn't really get to mourn him, I feel like, because it was like, ah, you're a kid, you know, you don't, it, this, this didn't affect you. Um, so for a number of years, like after I grew up and we never had a relationship, obviously, with me as, as an adult, um, there were times where I was in my counseling sessions and I just remember that feeling like, like he was in the room. See, he just came in when I said that he, he's like, he's funny. So I, I would just feel like for some reason that his energy was in the room and I didn't know anything about energy then. And so you kind of go, that's crazy. That didn't really happen. Um, but there was this, I remember one significant event when I was working with a couple and the, the male of the couple started talking about his time in Vietnam and he was a Marine. And I was like, okay, like it was just, you know, part of, I was taking some notes and doing an assessment. And I don't know why he was, I think he was probably talking about his PTSD or something and how it's affecting his marriage. And then he starts talking about, oh my God, there was this guy in our platoon and he was a funny son of a bitch. And he just started talking about him and I'm taking notes. And all of a sudden I was, I was like, you're like, oh, my uncle Danny. And I'm, I, so I'm like stopping looking at him and I'm just looking at him. Like I must've had this look on my face, like what the hell? And yeah. he, 
he actually at some point said his name. He was like, oh my God, he couldn't read. And so his mother would send him letters and he, we would sit around and we would read him his letters from his mom because he was illiterate. He couldn't read. And I was like, wow, did, did my uncle Danny not be able to read? And finally he just said, his name was um, Danny and we called him Danny Duck. And I was like, and I said, was his name, you know, his name. And he was like, oh my God, how did you know that? And I just like, you could just feel those angel bumps all around you. I'm like, oh my God. Like that was the first time that I honestly knew for a fact he had to be in there. Yeah. And, but still it was, I was teased a lot by my dad and I didn't want to be the different one. So, you know, he was very critical. So I just didn't talk about it. What am I going to tell him that uncle Danny came to visit me while I was working? Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't mention it. This was maybe now going back at least probably 17 years ago now. There's still for several years, I just didn't say anything about it. I never talked about that event. Um, and then in 2018, my husband and I had gone to Puerto Rico for our 25th wedding anniversary. We came home and usually, you know, the house was bare and every time something had up to, up to this point, every time something would move or would happen, you know, just like random things, like you can't find your keys, that kind of stuff. I just ignored it. I, I didn't really say anything. I didn't acknowledge it. Sometimes I would hear a, a whisper in my ear. Like, I'd like, you know, you're like, did I just hear that? Nah. Um, so we had come back from Puerto Rico and we have a detached garage. And my husband went into the garage to, he opened the garage door. I was in the house getting ready to go shopping because we had just come home. I wanted to stop the house. And he, Ed texted me a picture of a chair that was in the middle of our garage. Like he slid the, we have a huge garage. So he slid this garage door open and he took a picture of this chair, this huge chair that I had had at work that broke and it was in the garage because he was gonna fix it. Right. But it was like shoved like way in the back with a bunch of crap on it. It was like, it was never gonna get fixed. And it was right there when he opened the door, he texted me a picture. He said, did you move this chair here? Now, I don't forget, we were gone for like a week and a half. And I was like, no. And I was, and in, in my head, I was like, not having it. So I erased the picture and I went to BJ's. I'm at BJ's and some this little Hispanic lady, um, she was short. She, she was like, excuse me. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's like, no, no, no. Um, I don't know if you believe this or not, but there's a man standing next to you. And she went on to describe him to a T. Okay. Short guy. He's wearing this fishing cap. There's like hooks in his cap. He's smoking a pipe. I, I just was like, I just stood there. And it's funny because her husband was behind her doing this. Okay. <laughs> and I said, she does this all the time, huh? And he was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> she went on to describe him to a T and she, as she was talking, she was saying what, I guess what he was relaying to her. She was like, oh my God, he was, she goes, he's showing me, I guess it must be your husband. She's like, he just walked into this building and it's got all kinds of like stuff all over the place. And he, like, she described my garage. She described yeah. the event that just happened. And she was like, oh, and you're, oh my God. She goes, he moved a chair. I swear to God, I just sat there like, <gasps> like one of those moments that he was like, you cannot deny this anymore. I'm, you, there's no more like, this is a coincidence. Right. You know? holy shit, what just happened? And I, I didn't really say anything because I didn't want to lead her on, but I, I have never seen this woman before in my life, mm -hmm. right? And I even, this was a, I usually go to one BJ's. This is a completely different BJ's that I normally go to, right? So if you look back and it's all, you know, fell into place, of course, the way it 
supposed to. But from that day on, I was like, okay, you have my attention because clearly he wanted my attention. Right. He had a bunch of things that um, he had a bunch of things he wanted me to say to my dad. And I'm like, like, but I felt like a responsibility at that point to, to like deliver some of these messages. Like he, there was a picture he wanted out. He wanted to know where his purple hearts were, why they were in boxes. He wanted to, my dad to know it was a bunch of stuff. He wanted my dad to know. But, um, from that moment on, I was, it was very clear that I was the one who was supposed to transmit these messages. And I'm just actually thinking about this now. I gave those healing messages to my own dad, right? When I'm sitting here saying I wanted to be that person and I'm like, no, I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, I just, I, I was able to give those messages to my father, which were very healing for him. He, so I came home, I called my dad and I was like, you will never guess what just happened. And I'm telling him, and he it was like a pin drop. You could, he didn't say a word until at the end. And he was like, I know exactly which picture he's talking about. And yes, that did happen the day he died. And I was concerned. Like, I was like, whoo, okay. That was, that was. But I never came out while he was alive. I never came out as a medium to him. Okay. So I still, I still feel like both him and my grandmother, which is his mom, I didn't ever want to be judged by them or to feel, have them think something poorly of me um, and be on the, it was very easy in my family to get on the, the shit list. So I didn't want to be on that list. So I didn't really talk about it until he died. Um, I, I just kind of kept it to myself because this has been developing over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Very interesting that, um, I mean, that's something that I personally have been working on for several years of like learning how to, what other people think of me is none of my business, including my own family. And yeah. And I've gotten to a really, I think, healthy point in that. But maybe as a therapist, she might be like, well, maybe that's too too extreme. <laughs> I don't know. Is there too extreme when it comes to that? You know, I, the answer to everything is uh, there's balance, right? You can be on a, a extreme of either things and an extreme on either. And any situation is probably not as healthy as trying to find some balance in between. Yeah. Okay. Right? Okay. So now, so, so it's only in the last year then that you've really come out or, or said, I am a psychic medium. Yeah. Even when you say it, I'm like, Oh, really? <laughs> well, you wrote it in your bio. So it's real. I did. I know. I can't escape that. Right. You got to own it. <laughs> I, I did put it in my bio and I do, you know, offer the services, but really for that, I don't highlight that service because I'm still Still, part of me that's like, I don't know. They're gonna come in for like they're gonna I'm, they're gonna pay me, and I'm gonna be like, well, maybe you should talk to somebody about that. And oh well, yeah, so, actually, so that I that is a curious question. So because you are a legit trained therapist, right, and you have a very successful like therapy practice, that's very. I'm sure it has to be within certain parameters to keep your license and all that? Or, or are you able to go out of the box a little in your sessions? Well, we are encouraged to talk about people's sense of spirituality because they have found that it's important for people to have that as a part of their overall overall general well-being and health. So to a certain extent, yes. But um, I've really had to come out to my 
practice too, which I don't really do a lot either because it's not how they know me. It's not how we're set up. We don't, we have a traditional looking mental health kind of place. So I've, you know, had to also try to bring that in, in other ways too. I'm still working on it, honestly. Yeah. Well, and I love that you're in the middle of it or in the process of it. So it shows people, okay, yes, there's always, there's new stuff that always comes up in our lives and how do we navigate that? So I'm curious. So Ed, your husband, Ed, so how, like, how is he with this whole psychic medium thing? He loves it. Yeah. I do a lot of, I do a lot of, you know, groups and that sort of thing with other mediums um, with a couple different mentors over the past few years. And every time I get off of a call, he'll be like, what, so what happened? And did you read it for somebody? And what did they say? And what happened? So he's really into it. Okay. Does he have any of those abilities developed himself? So he has never taken anything formally, but because I know so many people and I'm in so many groups, there's people that are always looking for people to practice with. So he did have a session with somebody, um, and it was really an interesting experience. He said that the guy said to him, his name's Kino. The guy said to him, I want to do something with you that I've never done before. I want to, you know, just kind of bear with me. And he said, the guy started like doing almost like an Indian type of chant. Okay. And he said, then he said, I follow, I felt myself following along. Like it was some chant that was not in English. And he said, and I, I, found myself, you know, chanting along. He said, I had no idea what the hell I was saying. And I had no idea what the hell he was saying, but we were both saying it. And then afterwards we were both like, what the hell was that? And then he has not done another practice thing since then. Okay. <laughs> Funny, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Here. No. <laughs> well, so, okay. So I, I'm curious because it is a newer thing that you're accepting or really developing in your life. Um, so far, is it just like past loved ones that are coming for people or are other entities like angels or galactic beings or other different energies coming in? Well, honestly, uh, the galactic beings is something newer to me. So if that's who they are, then I'm not, I probably have just seen them as angels. But again, you look back and there are definitely some things that I have said to clients that probably were like a clear um, cognizance thing, that something that just pops in your head and you, I say it in the middle of a, um, a therapy session and they'll be like, how did you know that? And, and, and to me at the time, I was like, well, because I'm a trained therapist and you know, I know what to look for. But now looking back, it's things that have popped into my head. So I've sort of always been using that intuitive gift and didn't really realize I was doing that. Right. Me, um, spiritual coaching or spiritual mentorship and mental health counseling are not different to me. I don't see them as two because I've always used those same skills and gifts in my therapy and just didn't realize that that's what I was doing. Okay. Okay. So I have so many questions. I don't even know where to begin because, um, okay. So as, as a marriage counselor, um, energetically, it must be really interesting when you have couples in your office um, I personally have been to couples therapy or marriage therapy with husband number two, and we went twice. And um, it was an interesting experience. I can I can say it did it did not help us keep the relationship together. 
because we really were not meant to energetically be together. We were meant to have our son and, but he, he couldn't accept me for who I am and all of this spiritual stuff. He, he still can't accept it. And he tries to convince our son that I'm like crazy. And so, but fortunately my son knows otherwise. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and anyway, so I'm just curious a, a little bit about that and the dynamics that you see and um, energetically, like I know, I guess from my, my understanding and experiences, I know that we choose people in our lives to fulfill contracts and to learn lessons, gain the wisdom. And some people are there for a season and some people are there like for our whole lives. So I'm just curious how that works into your therapy. Well, so we, I would refer to that as a soul contract, right? So I'm trying to figure out when they come in, yeah, soul contract for life in this lifetime, or is there a certain lesson that they both needed to learn? And it's really when, when people both come in together and they kind of, you can tell whether one of them really wants to make it work and is there to try to save the marriage. And the other one's almost there to, just to be able to say we tried everything or sometimes deliver that other person like here, I'm here so that I can tell you in front of like, so that you can say, we're probably not going to work out and you can tell them instead of me telling him or, or, you know, her instead of me telling her, I can tell when that's the case. Um, or if there's just something like they really are meant to be together because they're, they're almost like they're fighting for their relationship together. And you can really energetically tell the difference. Like they work out but they just need to get over this particular piece so i guess looking back on doing couples therapy that's always really been there and i just didn't realize that that's what was happening what i could feel okay when when like when you have couples come in like that and you can tell the difference do you work with them differently energetically knowing that okay yeah this one's not meant to actually work out i do um I always start off with, I will say on a zero to 10 scale, I'll ask them two questions. One is how motivated are you to do whatever it would take to make this relationship work? And don't tell me what your answer is, but uh, both of you get an answer in your head. Like 10 is I'll do whatever it takes. And zero is I've got one foot out the door. I'm pretty much gone. Yeah. First thing I say is I want you to get your number in your head, but guess what the other person's number is. Right. And then I asked them a second question. OK, so first is your level of motivation to do whatever it would take to fix this. And the second question is your current level of satisfaction with the relationship on a zero to 10 scale. And again, guess what the other person's going to say. So that tells me a lot of things in just that one question. If I if one person says I'm a 10 out of 10, I'll do whatever it takes. And the other person's like, eh, I'm a four. That's like you've got two people in a boat paddling and one's like, <gasps> like uh, you know, already right there. It's, you know, if you're, if that means the other person's already got one foot out the door and they're probably not going to be too motivated. Like they're not really going to be engaged. So they're right. already saying, I'm not really here anymore energetically. Mm -hmm. um, so they've already made that decision. Now that doesn't mean, and then if I ask about their satisfaction level, and, you know, it, those are really different and like, they're not guessing like the, like, I think that he's probably going to say he's a two and he's like, I'm an eight. Clearly these people are not communicating. So you can get a lot of information energetically from those two questions. Are you communicating? Are you on the same page? Are you ready to work at this? 
that's really where I start. And that's where I kind of figure out where I'm going to go from there. And yeah. I would stay with that theme. Like we just got to work on, if you guys are not even on the same page about whether you want to even be here and work on this, this, we got to just work on that piece because I will, you know, I'll probably spend a lot more time on that um, question. Okay. Okay. Well, and that, that makes sense. Cause the first time that we went, um, we had just had our son. I hadn't married him yet. And I wouldn't marry him until we went through therapy. And we spent two years there. He changed enough temporarily that my therapist was like, yeah, I think it's safe that you can marry him. And then I married him and then he reverted back. And then we ended up again in therapy. And I was already, I already knew. So I was that one of like, I'm already at the door and I just need my therapist to help me break up with him. <laughs> um and say I've done everything that I can. <laughs> All that delivering right here. You tell him that we're not going to make it. Yeah. I would, I, I would honestly never tell a couple, I would never say what you just said. A therapist actually said to you, I think it's safe to marry him. I would never tell somebody that. Well, he did. Okay. What he told me and yeah, maybe this is, I don't know, maybe not a good thing. He had very well established many years in therapy, but he told me on the side, he's like, if if we get to the point in therapy where I don't think that he's he's going to change for you to marry him, to be like a good enough person, for oh. you, he's like, I will let you know. Okay. See, I have that discussion right in front of the two of you. Like, I'll tell you my opinion because you hired me to be the expert. So I would just say that in front of them. Like, I see this, it, you're telling me this, but I see this. It's not a great foundation. Yeah. Um, he came to our wedding too. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Yeah. And then four years later we divorced. So oh, you guys were in therapy for two years before you got to that point. So we were, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I got pregnant early in the relationship, like four months into the relationship, I already, I was still in the middle. And this is like, this is information for everyone listening who doesn't know my personal life. I was in the middle of divorcing husband number one. Um, and so I was going through that divorce and it was horrible. Like it was World War III, divorcing business, divorcing each other. And I ended up meeting number two, and he had already, he had just gone through his divorce, but our exes were very kind of similar personalities, similar people. So we bonded over that, over, okay. Okay. And then, um, I, yeah, I ended up getting pregnant and then I, I already had my daughter and I was like, shit. Okay. I guess I'm with him. Cause I don't, I don't want to necessarily do this alone. And he was a good enough guy at that point. And he, he also, and here's the tricky part. He's a chameleon. So in his human design, he has an undefined self center. So he becomes whoever he is with. And so when we met, he knew I was highly spiritual. He knew I had been part of the Rampa school, all of that. And he had opinions, but he was like, he, he presented himself like, Oh, I'm open. I do yoga. I meditate. No, he didn't, but he said he did. And he, so he was trying to mold himself to fit who I was. And then, but that's not who he really was. And so it was only after I got pregnant that 
he changed tune. And then it was not okay for me to be spiritual. It was not okay for me to talk about extraterrestrials or Bigfoot or ghosts or anything that he could not physically see, touch, feel. And then it became an argument every single time anything like that would come up. Wow. And he wanted to control what I talked to the kids about in terms of spirituality. And he still wants to control that with my son. <laughs> oh, how old is your son now? 14. He's very wise, my son. Wow. So, yeah. The time for you at eight o'clock tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Time to, that sounds like a serious personality disorder. And those are a little bit harder to detect. So as a therapist, you have to, like you have this BS detector. And if somebody is like that, I'd like to think that I could figure that out within two years. That's a long time to somebody to put up an act. Oh my God. And then, and then I married him. And then it was still like, <laughs> like that. And then, but the, at the, some point, I like for myself, I'm like, I am miserable. I know I'm going to, I kept getting sick and I'm like, I am creating sickness because I am so unhappy in this relationship. And I finally, like I was listening to my sacral inner authority and my human design. I just learned about that right before we broke up. And I'm like, I'm getting a, yes, I have to leave. I have to leave. And I don't know what, you know, I had the kids, I had my business. I, but I was willing to basically give him everything, give him the house, not take retirement, not take anything except for my business, just to, and get, my out. Just to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. When you have kids, you know, yeah. what we would do to protect ourselves. We're like, oh, I'm fine. But then you add kids onto it. It's, it's a different dimension of responsibility and, you know, decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's <laughs> number two is like, a really good relationship compared to number one. <laughs> so we haven't even talked about that, which, you know, I don't want to spend the whole show talking about my ex-husbands because there's way more interesting stuff to talk about, but I'm sure there's a lot that you could have fun psychoanalyzing. And <laughs> so we, and because you work with people with anxiety and PTSD and other things like that, um, you know, we're dealing with some of that in our family from number one so Ugh. yeah but again soul contracts and um you know just like i believe i chose my parents and i now understand better why i chose them even though it was challenging and i've gotten through that and i can fully see what like my part in choosing them and their part in being the kind of parents they were so i have no ill will but my my kids are now getting to experience like oh why did i choose my parents <laughs> and this situation of divorce and like there's all this stuff and and i have different clients coming to me that are contemplating divorce and like well but my kids and i'm and you know in some cases it's better for the kids if the parents divorce rather than being in an angry unhappy household for sure I experience so if you can touch on that right now, I would love you to share any advice you can have for people listening. Well, 
so people do uh, still say a lot, um, I stay, we stay together for the kids. And honestly, the research shows that most kids are actually do more poorly if they're in a if they stay in a, in a household where the, the parents don't get along. Um, and then, you know, people will say, well, we don't fight in front of them. You know, kids are little barometers. They're not stupid. You know, they're still in a place where they're way more intuitive than we give them credit for. They know there's something going on, even if you don't fight in front of them. So, you know, they they know that uh, what the dynamics are of the house and who's in charge. And, you know, we don't spend time with this one or whatever. They, they know exactly what's going on, even if they can't voice. I know what's happening. They can tell energetically it's not like their friend's place. Um, yeah. Relationships, parents relationships. So the research does show that, yes, kids do have some type of a reaction and they will probably react to a change and um, the change of the structure of the house and that sort of thing for a good probably two years, right? Mm -hmm. If they're resilient, they will bounce back. And most kids don't go into this complete downward spiral because, again, energetically, they see that their parents are happier when they're not together. And they ultimately want that. Yeah. So staying together for the sake of their parents is usually not the best way to go if the relationships are unhealthy. Even if you know your kids don't um, fight, see so you fight and realize that you're not together and that sort of thing. But there will be an adjustment because obviously that things happen and maybe you'll see some their grades might go down or they are isolating more or that kind of thing or are they just being teenagers. You know, it's so there will be an adjustment, but overall, it's usually better for people if their if their parents are in a better place, then the kids are going to be in a better place. Yeah, well, and that's one thing with my son because he was in kindergarten when when I finally left his dad, and it was really hard for him for for a few years, and yeah. it still is hard now because I live here in Hawaii and he's still in Washington with his dad because dad wouldn't let him come yet here and there are reason, you know, different things about that. But my son, he, the more that he gets to know his dad and sees his dad in that full parenting role, since my son was living with me primarily, I was school mom, like school week mom and doing all that. And now I'm more of the mentor friend mom, since I don't have to be disciplinary. And so I get to hear everything. He tells me everything calls me all the time. We have a better relationship actually, but he sees his dad for who he is. And he's just like, he understands why I could not be with his dad, especially with our different spiritual beliefs. Like he fully gets it, which is really nice. You bring up another good point, which is that the attitude that the parents have with each other during that process and as they co-parent, that also has a big effect on how the kids are gonna interpret it, you know, deal with that change as well. So if you're like, you know, uh, ask your father or, you know, I didn't want this, or if you're kind of, you know, letting the kids know in a not so direct way that they're not happy about the divorce or they don't agreeing about things, then the kids are gonna feel that as well. Mm -hmm. That's important too. Yeah, for sure. So. Okay, well, <laughs> enough about my marriages. Well, although what I can say, what I can say is that, and um, I, after leaving that relationship, then I did really deep dive healing in myself 
because as I write about in my book, Sacred Soul Love, I'm like, I was the common denominator in these relationships. So I did take my responsibility of like, what am I doing energetically, frequency wise to pull these relationships in? And so what I discovered was, okay, my self-worth is very minimal. My self-love, very minimal. And so how do I regain that? How do I rediscover that? And I had a coach at the time, thank goodness. Um, I've always had a coach. I'm someone who needs mentors, coaches, things like that. But he helped me to really get back to myself and rediscover, like, outside of being a mom, outside of being a wife, like, who is Lisa? What is she really like? What it who like at the core? And that's when I was able to like really dive deep back into my spirituality that I had given up for number two because he was so anti it. It would cause arguments all the time. And so when I did that, then I met Skip. And now, you know, we've been together seven years. And I mean, it's funny because a few weeks ago, he's like, I feel like I'm still getting to know you. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I feel like I'm still getting to know myself. (laughs) Because things have changed in seven years. Like, you know, he knew I believed in extraterrestrials and had experiences, but he didn't know I was going to be a full on like galactic ambassador and channeler and teach about it. (laughs) He didn't know we were going to move to Hawaii either. <laughs> so. Sounds like what I've read, though, in your book, that he was a great sport about it. Yes. Oh, yeah. No. Well, and Hawaii was a great thing. And he, I mean, that is one thing, whether he fully believes everything that I do or not. That's what, yeah. He fully supports everything that I do. Like, well, I. So. <laughs> say that again? It pays your mortgage. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much do you believe in it now? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But you bring up a good point, right? So that's why I, uh, that's what my, the basis of my book, Cut the Shit is. Yeah. People get into these uh, relationships that look the same, even though the face changes, it's the same relationship. And until they're able to look at the common denominator and say, what am I doing to bring these people to me? Until they fix that, it's going to keep repeating itself. So this book is about cut the shit, cut whatever it is that you're doing, figure out what that pattern is and why you keep attracting this. And then you're going to repair your life. Yeah. When I, I mean, I got to read your book and I resonated with so much of it. As I'm reading, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. (laughs) And, And the way that you write, I love your style of writing because you are very direct and you know you're there's no bullshit there you're just like here's how it is <laughs> and i i appreciate that very much and so for those that are listening like really check out beck's book cut the shit oh. and read it take it to heart practice it like yeah i had to start with me you know because sometimes i gotta call myself out on my own shit yeah i can't encourage teach other people to do that if i haven't done that no. So what inspired you to actually write the book? Well, I was going through my own stuff in my own life, in my own marriage. So I had to really, again, the same thing. I had to look at the patterns that was going on and saying, what, what's the common denominator? What am I doing to make these patterns continue? Because I didn't want what I grew up with. 
and not that Ed's an alcoholic because he's not, but you know, I, I didn't want to repeat my same patterns where I didn't love myself enough to stick up for myself, to call myself out on my own bull and, and to heal my own life. But the energy into me rather than how do I heal other people, right? Because I have to love myself first. So there was that part that I successfully, I hope, did. Um, and then how do I teach others to do the same? But also in throughout the years that I was a therapist, I would notice all these patterns that I write about in the book. There's uh, the rules. There's 14 of them. I would, every time I would have a couple or an individual, I'd be like, oh, yep, that's, and I had them all in my head, like, oh, that's this, this rule. And one day, because I, I knew I wanted to write a book, one day I, I, I got that little tap, right, which is not the, you know, you know, you're intuitive, which was, you know, probably my guardian angel or something that was like, when are you going to write these down? And I, and that could hit me at that moment, like, wow, you're right. I, I, I've never formally written all, written these all out. I did. I sat down um, and this was now going back almost two years ago. And I sat down and I wrote them all out and they came out in a piece of paper. And I was looking at them. And I was like, there's my book right there. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so do you have another book that's percolating? I have a couple that are percolating in my head and I have to wait for that. I, I probably need to sit and write down these other pieces. Yeah. Um, but when my dad passed away we found out some there was always he's always been kind of like shady and whatever but when he died and i was cleaning out his house i found another a whole nother set of things that i never knew and i realized that my entire family including my mother kept some secrets from me that i didn't know and my dad had held on to all this stuff from like the 60s that i found out about and i'm like what the so it's it's um i what I'm envisioning is it's going to be a book about secrets and how powerful secrets can be until, and once, because if you don't tell somebody something like the things that I found out, it's very powerful. You know, the fact that nobody told you if someone had just said it and I, you know, we work through it, but now I have these secrets from a dead guy that I can't work out. And my whole family lied to me about it, you know, so secrets are very powerful. They are. So, so is your mother still alive to then ask her questions about these secrets? She is alive. Um, you should have seen the day that I was like, um, I found all this. And she was like, yeah. I'm like, what the hell? Because they were divorced. There was no reason. They've been divorced since the 80s. There was no reason not. Someday I'll tell the whole thing. But okay. um, so she doesn't really know a whole lot. She gave me little bits of information enough for me to find, you know, to try to find some other people, but ugh, oh, it's a whole can of worms. She doesn't really know enough to give me much more information than what I've already found out. Okay. Okay. So another question just popped into my head and cause this is something that I have been thinking about just in my own family and my own, um, my mother, she she went into psychology because she had a lot of personal stuff to work through. Um, and but so is therapy, I, I know talk therapy, it can work, it can help people, mm -hmm. but I feel like it also can rehab, like make people keep reliving things that keeps them stuck sometimes in that without actually healing. Um, can you talk about that? 
Well, a couple things come to mind when you say that, right? So if you're re reliving and rehashing things, um, I, I call this content versus process. So a lot of therapists are ineffective because they talk about the content, which is the story. Mm -hmm. So they come in and they tell the same story and they, you know, whatever. And they don't, they just keep, you know, reliving the events of the week or they tell, say what happened, but they don't really talk about, well, what's the bigger picture? What do you have to learn from that? What are the bigger patterns? That kind of thing. That's the process. So the content is the, the information that you would take to figure out what the bigger picture is and the process or to process all of that. Um, it, it used to be an older theory that you needed to remember those things and, and, you know, actively go through those memories in order to be able to heal. And now newer research is showing that that's not necessarily true. And in fact, can somewhat be somewhat damaging. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I like the spiritual aspect of it, because we're focusing more on what is your life lesson? How do you learn that successfully? And then how do you find forgiveness and reframe that into an opportunity to learn rather than continuing to go over the same stuff? Okay. I, I very much appreciate that because then when I do regression work, it is really like, okay, what lesson did we learn? What wisdom did we gain from either that, that situation or that particular life that you experienced? But we also can reframe it, right? We can rewrite the story. We can rewrite the understanding of it so that it's no longer a blockage in someone's life. I think that's when somebody wants to keep going over the same story, then they're stuck in the victimization. Want it's almost like how does it behoove you to continue to be stuck here? What does yeah. that serve? How does that serve you? Yeah, that's and that and so for those listening, if you are in that kind of victim martyr scenario right now, what is it that like? Yeah, how does it serve you? And sometimes we get addicted to our emotions. Um, Dr. Candace Kurt, she wrote an amazing book back in the, I think, late 90s, Molecules of Emotion. Um, she was researching how we get addicted to our emotions, and we keep replaying that, just like the talk therapy sometimes can do if you're retelling your story. Right. You, you yeah. go into it with a willingness of, I don't want to be in this place anymore. It's, I recognize that it's not serving me. And it's not a popular path because then it, it implies I want to be stuck or I want to be seen as the victim. And nobody wants to think that way. So people are pissed off when they hear that. I think well, so. Well, right. I mean, yeah, because it is, I mean, people then have to take responsibility and realize, and, and a lot of times it is an unconscious thing, right? Because even when I was in, in my really toxic relationship and I, I was a victim, I was being a martyr and I didn't know how to get myself out of it for a while. And may, but I also didn't feel worthy myself to get out of it. And it was only when I had my daughter that then I could actually do it for her instead of me. Exactly. Yeah. And, but then coming out on the other side of it, now I can see what my role was. But I, again, I know a lot of people don't like that kind of like, okay, well, you really are creating it in it a way. Because it implies fault. And I think that that's part of what people need to do when they go into a healing process is let's get rid of the word fault because we're not trying to figure out whose fault it is. That's the first, like, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Right. Yes. Well, and that's one thing when I went to the couples therapy, that's one thing um, the therapist asked us regularly. Do you want to be right or happy? 
And sometimes I wanted to be right because I knew I was right. And I want the therapist to agree that I was right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, okay. So with things like anxiety and PTSD, you know, Western medicine wants to medicate those things. Um, Holistic medicine wants to figure out the root cause. As a therapist, where, how do you deal with that with your clients? I don't, I'm not somebody who advocates for medication right away, but sometimes there is a medical component, like a a lack of uh, serotonin or that kind of thing. And so I think that I usually tell people if it's like six to eight weeks, we're doing therapy and we, we kind of evaluate at the end of that. And if you say, you know what, I think I'm doing pretty well. I'm you know really being mindful of this and I've changed that, but I feel like there's just still something missing. Like I could get more Then I usually would say, okay, you might want to consider this because sometimes it does enhance what you're already doing. And it doesn't have to, it could be for six months to a year and you can attempt to come off of it and see if that helps anything. Cause sometimes there really is a chemical yeah, biological component. Okay. Um, so I'm also curious what your perspective on things like schizophrenia and other, other things. And I don't know if that's your specialty, but like, um, I had this aha moment and it came twice because What I had heard in my early childhood was my great grandmother was diagnosed schizophrenic. And this is back in the probably fifties or sixties when they didn't know um, as much about like, well, you could actually be really gifted and be having guides or angels coming to you. Right. And so they just put everything in that schizophrenic category. So my aha moment with my family is that, no, we have this strong lineage of connection and depending on what decade we're in, we're either crazy or we're brilliant, yes. right? <laughs> and and so I'm just curious what your experience is with that, if anything. I don't I don't see people who are who have that level of mental illness because they need a whole lot more. Like I'm a once a week kind of outpatient therapist. They need a whole team of people. Um, I have to tell you that I feel like the people who have chosen in this lifetime to have schizophrenia, that's not a popular thing to say, right? But before you come down here, if you say, okay, I'm going to be the one who's the schizophrenic um, in this lifetime, that they are usually there to, there's other lessons that people in their lives need to learn by going through that experience. And that's just, you've just um, put yourself on the, uh, the, the chopping block, like, okay, this time it'll be me. And that there are lessons in in other the other people that are around that need to learn. Okay. Well, and I, I asked this of a different therapist that I taught. I was on their podcast recently because I was curious, uh, you know, from a therapy point of view, because I know there are probably certain paradigms that would define someone as schizophrenic. However, again, um, maybe it really is something of they are just truly gifted. So it's different if it it depends on, you know, what are the delusions that they're having, if they do have like paranoia or are they hearing voices and things like that? And are these, you know, innocuous kinds of voices or are they, are they telling you like you need to cut your hair or are they telling you to do things that are dangerous and they can be violent? And those are, you know, obviously. 
Okay. Well, and even that, but okay. So then that's an interesting question because that could still be, you know, other spirits or energies talking to them, even though it's lower vibe energy, right? Mm -hmm. but, so what deems someone truly like crazy? <laughs> For sure. I mean, this is a whole can of worms, right? It's a curiosity question and I don't expect you to be able to answer it, but I'm just like, you know, when we're thinking about spiritual and dimensional beings and things like that, and, and a lot of people hear things, see things, and every, people like my ex-husband who have to see, feel, touch, taste, otherwise it's not real, then they're going to be like, okay, you're nuts. We're going to we're going to put you in the loony bin. Well, we also do need to put people into categories so that, you know, if I'm more, if you're more sick, then that makes me more whole or, you know, right. I mean, yeah. 60 miles from Salem, Massachusetts, like the Mecca of that. Yes. And it, you know, sometimes it's white men who have made these books up about mental, you know, and it, 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 right. the definition of schizophrenia is like, well, it makes you more sick sick so that we can be more healthy and be the people who figure it out so you know who knows yeah do you see that changing um now or is it a very slow change and not with something like schizophrenia with things like adhd autism, yes but severe mental illness where um people are particularly getting hurt and they're violent i, I don't see that changing okay just curious. Even the updated versions of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, because we're up to the DSM-5, there used to be three different subtypes of like ADHD. Now, um, some psychiatrists are saying that there's as many as like nine different subtypes. So wow. things from a different perspective and, you know, p picking out pieces that are more differential, it's, it's a lot to it. Okay. One now, man, that just opens up so many other questions and we're out of time because <laughs> I am... I am curious about all of these more recent diagnoses of ADD, ADHD, um, even autism spectrum in terms of like, what's what really is energetically going on there and what really spiritually is going on there. But that would be a whole different conversation and we'll have you on again, maybe. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's not necessarily my specialty, but I have some of my own, you know, thoughts about that. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, it's definitely not my specialty, but I think it's just interesting conversation to think of it from a spiritual energetic perspective, mm -hmm. more so even just a medical diagnosis. And we need to drug all these people or like they're not okay. Yeah. Because we say white man says so. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so while we are finishing up here, I would love for you to share, like, so I know you're, you're, Therapy practice probably has to be like in Rhode Island because you're licensed there. But how do you work with clients that or and if they're not in Rhode Island, how can they work with you? Well, as a therapist, I can legally only um, take people's insurance that are within the state. OK. Um, and even that has those lines have been blurred for the pandemic because we are seeing now people over state lines, but the insurance company is really still trying to figure that out because it's so telehealth is so new. They weren't even covering that prior to the, uh, to this, but I do, um, mentorship, which is, I, which I can say is, is a different sort of code of ethics. So that's not about, you don't have to have a license to do that. Okay. Um, 
that's more for credibility. So I work with people through telehealth through a, um, a portal that is um, confidential. And so you can use um, Zoom if you want, but I work with people over, over Zoom. Okay. A lot of people in Rhode Island who are where this is like Quaker state over here. Um, <laughs> all over the place. Okay. Um, well, and the one question I didn't get to ask you yet, so you can just do a really quick, have you had any UFO or alien extraterrestrial experiences that you're aware of? Wow. We need a whole different like thing about this. I used to have um, what I thought were dreams about a, somebody named Sayed. This is like the first time I'm ever talking about this. And I had, I was scared to say it, kept coming up in my dreams constantly, had no idea who that is, still don't know who it is. And they stopped um, maybe when I was 15 or 16. I okay. never knew who say it was. Okay. We Whoa, what was that? Whew. We need another session for that together, Lisa. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Okay, so how can, what's your website? Where do people find you? My name, becknelson.com. Um, if you go on there and you want a mediumship reading, you're going to have to email me because I don't put that on there. I just put on the, the coaching services, the mentorship services. So it's my name, Beck, B-E-C-C, nelson.com. And Nelson, N-E-L-S-O-N. Yes. For those listening. So, and it'll be in the show notes. Well, Beck, thank you so much. And everyone, get her book, Cut the Shit. Like, seriously, get it, read it, use it as your Bible. <laughs> I'm going to say um, yes. your 14 rule Bible. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've so enjoyed having you here. And to everyone listening or watching, thank you for your time. And I'll see you next time. Aloha.